You are listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that listened to someone else's show once and decided to steal their gimmick in lieu of a personality. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me is... Chris. Matt decided to buy tickets to the Super Bowl and never came back. We're wondering if it's a Black Sunday thing. Today we'll be talking about Monster, episodes 63 through 67. Content warnings for today's batch include suicide, child abuse, and basically anything shy of the Holocaust you can associate with Nazis. Eugenics, the whole works. Well, it does also bring up the Holocaust. Love to want to be Hitler. Yeah, but we don't really go any further than that. We do dive into the deep uh, workings of a eugenics program and a pogrom, though. That's true. Don't clip out me saying love to be Hitler. So we pick up with episode 63, Unrelated Murders. See, it turns out that Milan Kolosh running into a convention center with a gun, failing to take anyone out, and uh, dying, has left the police very puzzled in Frankfurt. At the station, Detective Weisbach, a new character, yes, at episode 63, is unsure of what was even happening because security turned Milan into paste before asking questions. This is not a new character. Okay. This is... The the show pretends it's a new character, but I remember this character. Like, the only yes. character I possibly remember. This is the guy who was um, grilling the kids, Johan and... What's her name? Anna. Nina, Anna, whatever. Uh, After... At the hospital. Like, in, like, episode three... Yes, but this is the first time he is named. Just I'm, I, I'm just saying, like, for the benefit of the listeners, you, you could technically know who this guy is. All right. And I do call out where they give you the flashback later, but... That would have been a pretty big... <gasps> if I didn't remember. Yeah, honestly, that, that was pretty good. I'm surprised you pulled that one off. Because it has been 62 episodes. So, he is one day from retirement, of course and makes a tasteful comment about how he was going to see a dentist, but now he's worried about them because they're going around killing folks. <laughs> so, his final job is being part of the escort of serial killer Reinhard Dinger to a different facility by train. Two cops for the one prisoner in a locked train car. And as Weisbach goes to light a cigarette, Dinger informs him that smoking isn't allowed, saying, There was a sign, can't you read? And then Weisbach goes, If only you had stuck to this moral code instead of going around killing people fucking owned. Got his ass. Yeah. Uh, Dinger is basically a more successful at murder, Travis Bickle, a former taxi driver who killed scum cab fares. As the ride continues, Weisbach is curious about one thing. A single killing that didn't match this that didn't match that pattern. An investment banker turned whistleblower who was key to a corporate malfeasance case. But Dinger just says he was pushed into it and refuses to elaborate. Instead, he tells the story of what may or may not be his first kill, where he snapped, saw a guy kicking his dog, and began beating the hell out of him in a public park. The man did not die right away, but as cops pulled Dinger off the guy, a child came out of the bushes and said the dog owner had begun the fight. When they left, which I guess they did taking the dog guy into custody, the boy, bandaged, brought out his sister. The two were homeless and dressed in pajamas like they had left a hospital and went back with Dinger to his apartment that night. 
watching the news that evening, he was cursing out all the degenerates in the world, and the boy simply said, You're right. From that day forth, Dinger got bolder up until the point where his first kill was a woman who spat on his face in his cab, and bam, a serial killer was born. Hate a large font weight, Dinger. <laughs> After the delivery, Weisbach is thinking on the cases he never solved, and suddenly he has an epiphany. He was the detective interviewing the comatose Anna Liebert in the 80s, assigned to the case where the children disappeared, and here they were, going directly from the hospital to inspiring a serial killer. He checks his watch and goes, damn, only 30 hours left to retirement. Elsewhere, Dr. Gillen remembers he's in the series and does what he does best, talk with a bunch of weirdo killers who are only going to be in one scene trying to find what makes them tick. And have the most unfortunate eyebrow situation. Yeah. Just like Weisbach, Gillen seems to be probing into killers who had one body that did not match their M.O. Both men we see let on that they were given instructions by a man who might not have spoken the language, instead writing a name in a sandbox in public parks. This part is real weird because all these men are in custody? And we're going to find out very soon that it's like, all these guys did this within the last few months. Yeah. Just the fucking murder convention was in town, I guess. Yeah. As Weisbach is packing up his desk, he sees Gillen being led back to the holding cells, and he starts to wonder about the guy who's about to interview their new catch. Gillen asks Dinger about the banker, and he suddenly stops um, being cooperative, despite loving to talk to people about murder. So as Gillen's leaving, Weisbach starts theorizing out loud about a guy who might have met a monstrous child, someone who helped him and then called him a favor, and the two men putting everything together go back and interview Dinger together. It is a tag team. Weisbach springs the theory of his if the twins returned ankle, and Gillen says the banker was a diligent man about to reveal crimes, the opposite of the scum that Dinger killed. And so Dinger cracks under this and goes wild-eyed, says the banker must have been scum to the man who wrote the name in the sandbox. It's what he's telling himself. We didn't even need words between us. I saw the name he wrote, and I knew what needed to be done. So, at this point, they leave because he's gone manic and they're not going to get much more. But Weisbach is like, what the hell is happening in here? What's going on? And Gillen suddenly has the answers. Johan is, or was very recently, around Frankfurt, and he's probably going to draw his sister and Tenma here for whatever he's about to set off. And the episode closes, and we don't see either man again. The real... I don't know. I don't know how I feel, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, it comes back later, but it's a very long ep to be an entire episode for what this is. Again, it's three chapters, so it's just sort of shoved together. We're we're getting a little weird with pacing as we come up on the ending. Yeah, like, it's, it's a very weird, because some episodes, this is way too much for what actually happens, and then other ones, I'm like, wow, this is very fast. Yeah, the, the final episode we're covering today, I have so few notes on, since half of it is just flashbacks. Yeah, this episode, though, The Baby's Depression, fucking great episode. Oh, it's excellent. Maybe easily one of the top five episodes of the show. Yeah, you... yeah. 
So we open in the back of a limousine and a stripper is describing the gifts she's received, money, designer clothes, and rocks as big as my finger. Uh, slowly, her flat, uh, for the record, normal fingers on this lady. Pretty big rocks. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, slowly, her flashbacks cease and she sh- we, it is revealed that she's alongside a figure in the back. And eventually he speaks and says, it's wonderful how it seems you actually care. She's a bit puzzled, and we find out her porch, her patron is the baby leering across the cab at her. So, the two are now at a dinner in a private restaurant. I'm pretty sure it's the same restaurant he was watching the arsons yeah. from. He only the... goes to one restaurant. It's the same one every time. Like, let's be real. It's mostly because we already have this background cell. Oh, guaranteed. This time, though, the whole building is empty. There's no other diners around. And so he flatters her while she's asking if he always lives this well. The food is only as good as the company I share it with. And as long as I pick up the tab, the company is fine indeed, he says. She's curious why he goes out of his way like that. But he doesn't even pause in responding. I wonder that myself lately. There's a a lot of good character work that's not in these notes because it doesn't matter to the plot, but this is like the baby becomes like extremely well sketched in this episode. Yeah, it's I sort of figured that we were going to do some back and forth on it, which is why I did not take down every little bit. But the baby is a man who is going through a crisis of faith because he knows that they are playing with fire. He is the only person who has had to directly confront that fire, and it has isolated him, sort of like, you know, a general wolf, from everyone around him, to the point that he is now running around with random escorts trying to have any human connection. Yeah, his boss has basically set him up to be the fall guy, despite not wanting him to be a fall guy, but he will be. And the baby the baby just is basically aware that his days are numbered. Because we'll find out through a couple of scenes, he's the only person questioning the very teetering structure that this organization is running on right now. Love to invite a wolf into my hen house. Oh, yeah. So he looks at the escort, says he's, uh, he's having fun with her. Maybe he wants to do this again. And her response is simply, maybe somewhere else next time? This could get repetitive. So... He starts talking and just going on, expositing, because he feels comfortable with her. How he made Frankfurt his fortress, fighting battles to win the place. He wanted to become like the Fuhrer. And then the flashback begins. Should have been a huge warning sign for the baby when the stripper did not have anything to say about him wanting to become like Hitler. To be fair, she does realize that he is a guy who goes by the baby and seems to run an organized crime syndicate. She might just be like, it comes with the territory. I don't know. I don't know. Because given the part of Germany they're in, she'll be very antsy that. We go to, we flash back to the meeting with Chapik. The baby is getting nervous because Chapik treating Johan like a messiah. And the baby is trying to figure out why are we doing these random murders? Um... The baby, having seen a lot of chaos occur in Johan's wake, is growing increasingly concerned about this whole arrangement. Meanwhile, Chapik's content to just let Johan do whatever, since all of Johan's bullshit has only lifted their the organization's fortunes. 
There's also the fact that the baby is haunted by Nina Fortner pulling a gun on him and making him realize that he's mortal. And now she's coming back to town. Uh, Chapek's cool with this also, saying his master created the program that gave us the twins and Kinderheim children, and everything is going according to his plan. So we cut back to strolling around with a stripper. She treats him this time, an ice cream stand she's fond of, which is still open into the night. Yeah, open at midnight. Come on. Um, this I've seen in European countries. That's, that's weird. Freak shit. Look, as a total night owl, I would love this. We used to have a bit of this before the pandemic really rolled back everyone's hours. Anyway, he mentions feeling a dark cloud over himself lately, and he's just like, mm, I wonder why, which is pretty obviously we're going to see why, because we go into another flashback. The baby is basically the only person in this organization not high on their own sociopathy at this point, as he has a discussion with Kristoff. It seems the lad has been running around wrecking havoc in the city, and Johann's trio of killings were to cover up Kristoff's own scandals and or killings. Do we ever find out what his name is, actually? I don't think they say it in the show. Uh, we found out last week, and they do use his full name, but it's localized in three different ways, so I just refer to him as Kristoff. Okay, this is the Joker guy from last time. That we yes, this is the scary. Devil's Apprentice, yeah. Yeah, Kristoff is um, kind of a pain in the ass because his name is his last name is incredibly German, and he's a fail son of one of the former heads of the place. Incredible. So that's why he gets to run around and do all this crap. Love, love a fail son. Oh yeah. Uh, so he inherited his father's position as one of the four heads of the place, but he doesn't have any of the devotion that went into founding it, and the baby is just like. You're He's very gonna burn our shit down, dude. <laughs> yeah. And so the two men threaten each other, and Kristoff blinks first, just kind of doing that little giggle of his again. I wouldn't dare make an enemy of you, not while you're the most powerful right-winger in Frankfurt. And he just leaves, walking out of the building. Well, so the anime keep subtitles, insert the word still, and that makes a lot more sense with how the baby seems wigged out by what he said because it comes off as I know that you're nothing compared to me in this organization and I can have you killed. So I like that little addition of the word because it changes the meaning of what Kristoff says to make it more accurate to what's going to happen. The read, the read also fits it in the dub, but yes, I can see your point where that gives clarification. Yeah. Um, Back in the date, the baby steps in it a little in insulting her offer to make sure he gets to his hotel safely and then trying to make up with it by paying her money, which also upsets her further because she just turns cold. Uh, she's very just immediately turns away, walks off, and the baby gives chase a little bit, apologizing, saying, I always do that. It's become a habit, just throwing around money to win respect. And she smiles again and asks if she might come up to his room with him. And hey, they call you the baby, but what's your real name? And he goes, it's... And then the camera cuts away. So we are in the lobby of a hotel. One of the organization's goons is on the phone. Nina has been spotted in town. 
They're trying to get a hold of their boss, the baby, but he won't pick up. So instead, he is going out to head to the hotel room and meet the man. On the way in, this guy passes the stripper, face now much harsher as she enters the elevator and leaves the plot. Inside the baby's room, we do not see what his final fate was, but we do see the shower is overflowing and blood is pooling around the rim and drain. And this call, informing the boss of what's happened, sets Chapek off, because now he doesn't know who to trust since he had been relying on the baby as his man on the street. I'm not gonna lie, this blood in the shower water mix thing looks extremely bad. It's like, a an, more... like animated. It would look good drawn, probably. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah, it's like the first time something has looked bad and it was noticeable. We're coming up on the point where the budget is running a little thin near the end of the show. It's but never some terrible. of the best looking stuff happens here, right? Like when they do like the semi-transparent window of Nina riding in the back of the car and like the parallaxed reflections. That looks amazing. Like it they're definitely you could tell like, oh, we're going to spend zero money here and spend all the money here in this quiet moment instead. Well, that's exactly it. We're we're coming up on a lot of scenes that have very drastic punches like all the shadow work in one of the final episodes we're going to cover today all sorts of different things which are going to get the touch and then there's little bits like this where it's just like it's blood whatever someone didn't care knowing that things are about to get volatile he relocates himself to a villa outside of town he's told nobody about sending one of his bodyguards to secure nina immediately as insurance against johan the second bodyguard slash driver says he's reached out to two guards he trusts and told them where to meet as backup. But this just makes Tropic more paranoid, suddenly saying he doesn't want to go to the VN now. And the guard tries to reassure him that they're trustworthy. He reaches for something, and Tropic just fucking blows his brains out. And it turned out to be a lighter. His bodyguard wanted to have a smoke, had a cigarette in his mouth, and all of that. At this point, Tropic is starting to crack. He's... He's hiking the rest of the way up to the villa, where the lights are on already. But the building seems empty as he comes in and announces himself, so he pops into a lounge, finding some wine and a glass waiting for him. Only after he has finished gulping it down, it like there's a little detail of it just running over his lips at one point onto his suit, does a figure appear from the shadows holding a second glass. So many people drank that wine at the Red Rose Mansion. And Johan's statement panics the old man. He starts trying to force himself to vomit. He's gagging. But the blonde boy just takes a sip and says, No worries. I'm drinking too. You'll be fine. This is, um, this is not the way that you start a conversation where you're trying to pretend to be someone subordinate. And it's tense immediately with Chopik not keeping his cool going from desperation about, how how is this? I thought we were on the same page. Everything's going according to plan. Everything is going according to plan. Not my plan, but I know what my plan is. I'm going to get you. I've got your sister. And if any dang happens to me, I swear to you. Don't worry. I have something to ask you. Franz Bonaparte. He's still alive, isn't he? And Johan's face just goes dark as we cut to credits and just like 
I'm supposed to care that this 80 year old guy is still around. We've seen so many like narratively important 80 year olds cannot care about this one. Yeah, Chapek's got to be 75 minimum. Yeah, for real. Um, we start episode 65, Johan's Footprints, by remembering those other bodyguards that were supposed to go get Nina. And they're here, heading into her hotel room. And unfortunately for them, Nina is just Sarah Connor now, waiting for both men to walk past the closet before drawing a gun on one and telling the other not to move. Uh, they catch her up that the baby is dead, so no, the baby's not trying to kill you right now, and that Chopic sent for you. And hearing his name, Nina's like, oh, yeah, take me to Chapic. Let's go. Across town, the police are raiding Milan's home because, you know, he tried to kill a guy at a public event. And they didn't <laughs> they didn't even take down his like red string cork board. Come on, dude. Yeah. Tenma got the hell out of Dodge as soon as the news broke, knowing that, yeah, the cops are going to be all over this place. But we did see a final scene of him giving the children a speech on how revenge is a terrible idea that got Milan killed and don't follow in his footsteps. Then he makes sure to check that his gun is in his coat and goes, well, I'm off to kill an Aryan Superman. Kenzo Tenma, Man of the Year, 1997, baby. <laughs> Halfway through the cops inspecting the place, just as they find, you know, the red string, the photos on the wall, like, Chopek was his target. We should probably look into what this Chopek guy's deal is. A police gopher runs in and is just like, Inspector, the baby, murdered, at his hotel. With cops all around the streets, Tenma sticks to the shadows as he tries to follow up on his own quest for vengeance. He sees Kristoff leave the building he was watching, and this time, he successfully hails a cab to trail someone. There has to be fucking laws about how you can't tell a cab driver to follow that car. Uh, I've always wondered about that. Although, I guess there are legit ways to have it be a thing, where it's like, hey, we're all going to a party and we need one extra guy. I would just say no, if I was a cab driver. Uh, you know, as long as someone's not armed, I can see that not being the weirdest request you'd have. Is the guy spitting in your face? He's not scum. When Kristoff arrives, he heads to his apartment and calls out, expecting Johan to also be there. But he does have a guest, but it's not the blonde person he was anticipating. It's a gun-toting Ava, also curious where Johan is. Outside of town, Nina is delivered to Chopek's villa. He is sitting there, broken in the room, as Nina just sees him and goes into a PTSD rage, drawing on him despite the bodyguards behind her pulling their own weapons. Chopik cannot even bring himself to look up or turn around, just going, Is it Johan? He let me live, you know. He knows the one to kill me will be his sister. Very, very sadly, with a gun to his head, he repeats his earlier statement, Everything is going according to plan. And he's... He's not begging. There's no emotion in it. He's just saying, Kill me finish me off and something about this scene maybe it's hearing that her brother predicted this or that he's actually wanting it is bringing her down from this high and she just lowers the gun going johan was here where did he go take me to him 
Well, that's the real reason, right? Like, Nina has a prioritized kill list, and Johan is way above Chopic. I'm unsure which of these things it is that brings her down. I think that this being so against what she expected is what really cracks the shell of rage. Yeah, for me, it's that this is her last lead on where Johan is. Because she's not Tenma. She doesn't know anyone else involved, right? Mm Hmm. Uh, meanwhile, at Kristoff's place, Ava's still pointing a gun at him. And she says, I've been watching this two pl- this place for two weeks, and I've never seen Johan come in here, so you must know where he is. And Kristoff tries to say, hey, be cool, I don't know anything, and then just Ava just fucking blows his ear off. And she yep. says, <laughs> big into it. Uh, yeah. All it took was shooting a Nazi's ear off for me to do a complete 180 on Ava. Um, and she just says, now you know I could aim. Next time, tell me what I want to know. So now it's Kristoff's time to have a plot-relevant flashback, because he is also a Kinderheim 511 child. Specifically, he survived because he went into hiding to the point of nearly dehydrating, and Johan found him and went, hey, come on, let's be pals. So they've been working together to fuck Chopik the whole time. This also puts a different spin on those three murders, because... Everyone's talking about it like Johan is having these kills happen to protect Kristoff from his scandals. But there's a third one that does not track, which is why the baby was upset. Specifically, there's the banker and the investment scandal, which we can tell is something to do with Kristoff. Uh, a woman who probably to me, just that witnessed has to do him. with Johan, right? Because Johan makes all his money from market manipulation. The baby makes it sound like he knows the whole story there, because he does say most of these are covering up Kristoff's shit. He's curious about the Eastern European people trafficker. And that's the one that makes the baby nervous. So with this revelation, it becomes, it could have been either man, it might have been Johan closing a loose end, but it might have been this is the guy who got both of these two over. Yeah. Anyhow, telling this story uh, gets Ava to the point where she lowers her guard a bit during it. So Kristoff hucks the book he was reading off the ground at her and just leaps for the gun. And this is a pretty good scene. He was reading the book before Ava got there. He did not just start reading a book after getting his ear shot off, which would be very funny. Yeah, it really (laughs) would be. Also, shout outs to the animators for not having to draw a gnarly ear, because every time he's in this scene, he's got a hand on it just going, So, he gets on top of her, now armed, completely frantic, and he's just screaming, I'm gonna be a politician! I'm gonna rule the world with Johan's help! Nothing can be allowed to ruin it, so what are you gonna do about my ear? Kristoff, living in the past, where you don't where you still had to be attractive to be a politician, which is not true anymore. This was 1997. But then somebody clicks the hammer on a gun and just yells, drop it. And then Kristoff goes, what? Yeah. Yeah. Kristoff is shocked because he's been mono-focused. Ava, on the ground and upside down, is the one we pan past to see. Tenma aiming directly for Kristoff. 
Both men take a look at the other and aim, and we cut outside to the sound of gunshots. And this is not as suspenseful as they think it is, because Kristoff has Ava's gun, which has a silencer, and these are extremely loud. <laughs> um, we close the episode not on the gunshots, but on Nina and Chopik driving towards Johan. And this is where that great shot I was talking about earlier is. Um, yeah. And Chopik says, you remember everything, right? Why don't you just kill me? And as he can't get an answer out of her, Chopik begins telling a story. I've heard tales, you know, of how you twins were brought into this world. And that's the end of the episode. And that takes us into episode 66, Welcome Home. I am just going to do the flashback on this because there's not really an easy breakpoint. Yeah. And because it's written with, like, a narration over the whole thing. Mm Mm-hmm. So the episode opens with probably the quickest cold open in the entire series. Just about ten seconds of Nina in a flashback going, Mommy, hold my hand. Don't let go. Mommy? And, like, not even ten seconds in, we're already at the intro. So, after that... There's been a lot of filler, like, in terms of pre-intro stuff. Almost every single episode has been the last two minutes of the previous episode. Like, the pacing is really weird at here, and continues to get weirder. Yes, um, I think it's... It was either episode 65 or it's episode 67. That is just four straight minutes of the prior episode with the intro before anything actually starts. Let me tell you, it was really nice when you got to watch five of these in a row to shave a whole 10 minutes just off of that. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. It definitely helped as the note taker. (laughs) I saw that and was like, skip ahead, skip ahead, skip ahead. Oh my God. Thank you. Skip ahead, skip ahead. Oh, there's the song. But this one does not do that. This one is all new and we're actually in a new animation style that's mimicking a film reel down to calibration and dead frames in places oh it looks so good it's one of the nicest looking it looks it looks like modern is how nice it looks the first chunk of this bit is basically a metal gear solid three cutscene with the same sepia tone and film grain effect and everything Especially when we get to the part where all the photos zoom out on a board. It looks better than when they do this in End of Ava on the playground. Yeah. So, we have Chopik narrating over whatever this film reel in his head is. And he just says, The man was a German-Czechoslovakian soldier who remained behind after World War II. His name? His name was not important. The woman was the only daughter of a Moravian elementary school teacher. She attended the university at Brno, majored in genetic engineering. Her name? Her name is not important. The two were one of dozens, hundreds of couples who were chosen and paired off in a eugenics experiment. Except in this case, the man did not do his duty as a soldier after confessing his mission to the woman he had impregnated. He said, Let's run away. But this, too, was something they had planned for. And when the woman woke up, and when the woman woke up, confined to a hospital room, she knew that her lover was dead, no matter what the doctor said, which was just a repetition of, he's been assigned to an important new mission. Every They time. do a really good job, because this is repeated like six times. Yeah. 
they do a really good job of um, selling the woman's perspective in this. Uh, see how long that clip is, and maybe cut it in just to just to fit this. It's it's very good voice acting. Oh, this is where the world's best welded air ducts come in. Yes. But that is after she starts to recognize one of the people who is attending her, one who keeps sketching her as her pregnancy progresses, is the head of the experiment. It will not be spoken, but obviously it is Franz Bonaparte. Yeah, you know who it is because you've seen all of these sketches. Yep. And she just looks the man dead ass in his face as he's doing another one of her pregnancy still lifes. Just says, even if I die, the children inside of me will have their revenge upon you. This sketch is really good, by the way, because when you see it before, it looks really demure. But now that you know the context, it reads totally different. Yeah. Like I say, Urasawa is fucking great at faces and little details. It's why so many of his stories are human dramas. It's yeah. where he excels. Just don't have any babies in it, because it does not translate well. Yeah, yeah, the sketch of the two twins. <laughs> we've said it we've said it before, but it's some real medieval painting. Yeah, it's two angry men on men faces on a baby. It's very funny. One of these is a little girl. Are you sure? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when she went into labor and was placed in isolation to deal with the pain, she made her move, pulling herself through these ventilation shafts despite everything. Okay, that part of that's unbelievable, because there's a chair on the bed, got it, but then the duct is like more than a person's height. So I am to believe that this woman who's been like chained to a bed for months jumped up and like physically pulled herself her entire height into this duct incredible i would just blame it on let's just say it's that whole thing about you know pregnant women with adrenaline can move a car there that's it what it really is is we needed this pan up to last an entire extra second longer true so she got herself out of the building and over the barbed wire fence, but unfortunately, she was only a hundred meters from the main gate when she collapsed in the road, her water having broken. The phrasing here is very good because it implies that you immediately pass out when your water breaks. Uh, I think it's where the adrenaline ran out for her. I know, but the way they phrase it is very funny. That's all. That's all I'm saying. It's true. Chopik might not be, you know, the best scientist. Let's just pretend he <laughs> believes this. I can't believe race scientists are not very smart. <laughs> Especially assistant race scientists. Yeah, for real. You're, ju <laughs> you're just a race scientist. Yes, man. Fuck off, dude. Chopik is Bonaparte as hype man. <laughs> <laughs> he sees yo! that sketch and he's just like, yo, that sketch is fire. <laughs> the master got plans for you. Boo, 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 boo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just chop it cutting across the frame of him drawing like a, that video where the guy goes world star. I'm just, he's doing sketches and in the background, Chopic is just like dabbing and doing it. Oh, <laughs> oh, 
so the woman and her twins were recaptured by the scientist. And the last we see of the flashback is her saying she came up with names for the twins, only to be told, that was unnecessary. They won't need them. And she's just getting more and more panicked. Like, you have to give them names. You have to give them names. And we just snap back to the modern day. Nina is less than thrilled, same as her brother, to learn that Franz Bonaparte is still alive. But before Tropic can say any more, they pulled up to a collapsed building where he says, Ask Johan yourself. He's in there. Uh, back at Frankfurt, Tenma shot Kristoff through the leg and applied a tourniquet to keep him stable, but weak. Well, he's trying to get the guy some help anyway. Tenma's condition on this aid is Kristoff telling him where Johan is. Even with Ava's gun to his head and his like life quickly fading, the smug little shit keeps claiming, can't tell you what I don't know. And seeing the condition he's in, Tenma just fucking breaks and says, Ava, there's a payphone over there. Call an ambulance and tell them there's an injured man in this car. She's incredibly upset, but he can't stand to let the man die. For what it's worth, they are drawing Kristoff very close to death. He has got circles under his eyes. He is ghostly pale. He is covered in blood. He's got multiple wounds on him. It's like, okay, you are really selling. Ooh, that ain't amazing. Oh, I forgot to bring it up, but the man in the eugenics experiment, there's that fo- they show that photo of him in his uniform and he looks exactly like Martin. <laughs> yes. For a second there, I'm like, is this about Martin? Thankfully, not even the weird extra novel goes that far with connecting dots. So, yeah. Ah, so yeah. She Ava begrudgingly gets out of the car and heads towards the phone booth, and Kristoff just taunts Tenma from the backseat. You're the same as ever. Predictable. Another life saved. This is what you did for Johan. He wants to see you, you know. Alone. And suddenly Tenma's like, what did you just say? By the time Ava makes it back to the car, Kenzo Tenma is gone, and she immediately draws down on Kristoff. In what might be his only moment of humanity in the whole series, the fading man relays a message that very clearly came from Tenma. I'm sorry. I can't get you any deeper into this mess. I've already ruined your life. Please be happy, Ava. Tenma continuing to be too good for Ava. And we hear the ambulance sirens draw closer as Ava just falls to her knees, sobbing outside the vehicle, and Kristoff just muttering, I do not get you people at all. Ava, get the f- you gotta get the fuck out of here, dude. You're holding a gun next to this car with a multiple gun wound guy in it. Get out of here. Yeah. Uh, back at the ruined building, Nina is carefully covering herself, checking every corner as she proceeds inside. So good at door kickers. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, after a tense minute or so, she makes it to the top floor, where Johan is standing there overlooking the outside from a crumbling wall. Then we get the, we get the flashback again of Nina coming home, but this time we there's a little extra and it's Johan dressed in her clothes welcoming her, not her welcoming herself. Uh, a scene we had not seen yet is the twins starting the fire and the three frogs and using the commotion to flee. They proceed to head into the countryside and end up with a kindly couple at a farmhouse who fed and sheltered them. 
Then after a brief period, Johan killed the pair and the flight continued. The shot of them being murdered is fucking brutal. Yeah. Like way over the top compared to everything else. Um, Tenma is being driven out to this house by a kindly stranger. He does not arrive there this episode. But we finally learn that Johan has been claiming a has been stealing trauma valor from his sister all these years because Nina is the person with the horrific backstory and she just told him about it every day and she calls him on it and says as he talks about seeing the energy he says, oh you want to hear about the end asshole I'll tell you all about it and then the episode is over and that takes us into a very weird episode uh, number 67 I'm back the first half of this episode is just half recap half revelation because it's Johan retelling this story again, seeing everyone die at the Red Rose Mansion, except Franz Bonaparte, which is in there. It's like, how did neither twin remember this then? Then coming home, telling his sibling about it, and Nina goes, nah-uh, and we cut away. Suddenly, we are following Tenma entering the building, who makes his way to the top floor and sees Nina on her knees with a gun to her head. See, she has remembered that all of the trauma... All of the horrible experiences, the brainwashing, walking in on this mass suicide at the Red Rose Mansion. Being trapped in a sensory deprivation chamber for over a month. All on a Liebert, baby. She came home, told her brother what happened, and just internalized it as his own. But the revelation that her brother, the monster, is this way because of her experiences has broken her, and she just feels like she has to destroy herself and end the cycle. Tenma comforts her, begs her to live, and does his usual shtick. This would mean more if this weren't like the twelfth time he's done this now. Third yeah, this is This is like your number one interaction with her, please. Yeah. Chopik follows them inside and says he's done with this. I'm gonna go see my boss, Franz Bonaparte, and finish this madness off. Uh, this does not last long because en route, his men turn on him after the car with the dead guard uh, is found in the ravine and everyone puts two and two together and they just fucking dome him from off screen. It is very brutal. Love to see this man get domed that way. Yeah. Uh, Specifically, they they find the car with the dead guard and they're like, he was shot from the back seat. The blood is all over the windshield. And who would have been in the back seat? The boss. Fuck this guy. That's right. Get his ass. Mm-hmm. Loved worker solidarity. <laughs> even though they are problematic workers. <laughs> I don't know if any of these guys really have a strong opinion other than the pay is good to be hired muscle. Because one of the bodyguards does call out Chopik in his early stages of breakdown. They have to know they're working for neo-Nazis. They do, but they... One of the guys also gives him shit when the baby murder comes up. Because it's like, did you kill the baby? Because if you killed the baby, you fucked us, you know. That's true. We close on Johan, having gotten out of there while the getting was good. And he's off to clean up his last loose ends. He's just having a chat with someone. We learn who is a killer who did his bidding. And they begin discussing the ends of things. Johan puts a gun on the table between them, telling the man to finish him off, and the hitman just takes this as a joke. Johan is less than pleased with this and just blows the man's head off, and he gives a speech to nobody, 
because it's an anime, saying he has to be there when it all ends, when everything concludes, and he sets out for parts unknown, and we know where that's where it is because it's the where it is because it's the only scene in the intro we haven't seen yet. Yep. We've been seeing shots of this big desolate plane that Tenma is in in the well, intro. Well, it's the desolate times. plane yeah. where we where we see them collapse and when they're doing the border crossing, right? Yep. But yeah, that just keeps coming up over and over in talk of the end and Nina's seen it and Johan's seen it and yeah. We're getting there. So, uh, yeah. Any thoughts on this block? We are rapidly accelerating towards the end, and the wheels are coming off on the the pacing and structure of the show. Yeah, um, I actually, you know, I do a little bit of manga flip-through for some big scenes just to compare translation or check which one of the two I should use more. And, um... We are now one chapter into volume 17 of 18 at this point. We've got two episodes worth of recording left. It's going to get weird. And we still have a bunch of new characters to meet. I'll tell you right now that the show would justify 60 episodes easy, but not 74. I don't disagree. I think... Like, it collapses under its own weight. It is hard to remember everything that matters. Because there's... They loop in a lot of stuff to add minor detail that is highly necessary, but that was not the only way to present that detail. Yeah, at a certain point, this being such a faithful adaptation of the manga, almost shot for shot, really becomes an issue of pacing because in the manga, one chapter of setup or returning to something is just... That's what you got this bi-weekly period. I think this was bi-weekly. I don't think it was monthly. But Yeah, but you also read the whole chapter in 15 minutes. Yes. it And it's not multiple 23-minute shows. Yeah, it runs faster that way. And so you can do, here's a, here's a side bit. Here's another chunk that's just going around. In this, as a few people have pointed out, imagine if over a month, was just focusing on all these things we did, and then it comes to, wow, everyone sure died, and we're still chasing Johan. It's it's a little rough as everything starts getting collapsed into the point of finale. A thing I do when we discuss animes that are like way bloated is um, look at what I would cut out, and I might do that again, but it would be an extreme amount of work to come up with how I would edit the show. I feel like if you wanted to edit this one, you'd probably have to excise a plot line or two. I don't I don't know if that's true. Okay. Like you could probably like for example, you could cut out all the stuff with Martin. Right? Martin could just be there and not be a character. And as much as I like him, it would be fine. Um you would you would cut out all the bottle episodes, right? Like the whole point, the the only thing the doctor, epi- the country doctor episode ties into is the country doctor saying, no, actually, I'm not going to back up Tenma. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff like that you could cut. So I feel like what you do is you cut out a certain tier of character. You cut Martin, you cut the... De- Margot. Yeah, the detective friend from... Um... Souk. 
Not Souk. No, no, no. Souk. Actually, you might. Oh, the alcoholic. Yeah, guy. the alcoholic guy. I couldn't remember his name. Well, let's be real. Let's be fair to him. The recovering alcoholic guy. Yes. He was doing a great job. He was. But yeah, just I little him. side characters who get those three episode arcs. I, you can condense that The down. gardener. I don't know if you cut the gardener. I think that's one of the strongest bodies. I It is, but you cut that. And you could just have Ava accidentally burn her place down, like, while she's drunk or whatever. I don't know. I think that one changes her whole journey, because we get two things out of the gardener. One, Ava trying to be better and then relapsing hard. And two, we see the first sign that she knows more than she let on with the photos. Right, but we can get that on its own, and then... The her repeatedly trying to be better if you also trim Martin doesn't come up. Okay. Yeah, you know I, what I mean, I don't. I guess we can't cut both of them because then her journey becomes so much rougher. I don't. Know. Well, you you can. What you can do is you can fit in more time with her and the guy in the wheelchair. Okay. Like talking. Oh yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah, the capo. Okay. Okay. Because then you're 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 cutting like six episodes, you can put in another one, stretch that whole thing out a little bit, because that part feels a little rushed, like the ending to that arc. Well what say we do um, you would every once in a Lottie, while right? you get a one shot with Ava. You get the gardener, yeah. you get one with the capo, you get maybe one with Martin. And we don't follow I don't him think you around. Can get a one bunch. with Martin. Yeah, you would get her with Martin, but the party on the party focus, you can't focus on Martin at all, or it needs to be more, because otherwise that doesn't come off as believable. All right. Maybe that becomes two, but we don't have to do four. There's so many. Yeah. And even the ones that are there are, like, largely padding. Think of how... There's probably, like, 30 minutes of screen time dedicated to this gunfight that's, like, five minutes. Yeah, that gunfight got reused so much because it spiced up a very dry P.I. case. And you know what really bums me out, too, is you probably cut Grimmer out. I'm gonna say you don't just because, hey, guess who might be in the next episode? Is Grimmer in the next episode? Yes. I'm, I keep hoping that Grimmer will Grimmer is back. actually back in the finale. Thank fuck. Yeah. Oh, we didn't even talk about how Lungay comes back at the end of this episode. Yeah. Uh, that's Lungay is at the place. Okay, so thank you for mentioning that, because um, the episode, my copy of it broke halfway through it, so I didn't have visuals. I was going off the manga yeah. chapters, and Lungay rolls up and names, uh, like, Rishaim, which is where all of the other people did their murders. Yeah, the the city we are at now is Ruinheim. There we go. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that's uh that's one chapter after where I stopped reading the manga based on the Johan thing. Alright. Yeah, that's that's here. It just ends there with him pulling up and saying the name of the place. Gotcha. Yes. And it's right after everyone says I have to be there when it ends, and then Lungay rolls up, still on fucking vacation. Yep. To be fair. I can absolutely believe that that man has a month plus of vacation saved up. I think we should plan to have an entire episode that's recapping the plot and saying how we would trim it down also. I do. I have notes for that. I have a skeleton of what happens and like 
just I expect you two are going to ask me some questions. And I also have on that a very brief summary of the sort of sequel light novel. All right. So I think we can definitely make an episode out of all three of those things put together. Yeah. Yeah, I I think after we finish the series, we're going to just come back in one more and then do that. Yeah. Maybe put that on the Patreon. Yeah, it's a 50-50. I don't know if we do that as a full episode or on the Patreon, but yeah, that might be a... Well, here's what we do. We do the first part where we recap the entirety of the show and the plot. Yeah. And then say how we feel about it, and that's on the free feed, but then the whole thing is on the Patreon. That's good. I like that. Anyhow, let me do the actual closer because I realized I did not. Oh, yeah. Uh, These episodes are going off the rails. I'm glad we're rapidly accelerating towards the end, but I want to fucking get there now. Everything is, and I'm... I'm ready to be disappointed because there can't, given how Monster is and the way the plot is shaping up, there can't be the fireworks factory it's just um there we there can be the fireworks factory can there because to me the fireworks factory is we pop johan and all of the characters get their resolution and then maybe grimmer destroys um this grimmer and uh nina or ava or whatever whoever it would be destroy this neo-nazi organization if johan hasn't done it himself already johan has definitely just destroyed it literally the only person who's left in charge of it is Kristoff now. Yeah. Like it's it's gone within a month. But yeah, um we're next episode I think you'll understand. There is a fireworks factory and we are rapidly approaching it with matches in hand. It's <laughs> just an entire town full of clone vats of Johan. It's just one hundred and eighty degree turn that they're at Nibbleheim actually. <laughs> Let's revisit that in two weeks with episodes 68 through 71 and ask ourselves how much we want to win the lottery. Not very much. As someone that just got fucked on their taxes, I don't need to also win the lottery and have that happen again. Well, guess what? There's worse ways to get fucked than by taxes if you win the lottery. Goodbye.